So, story idea. Story idea. Story idea. So, this one might not actually be bad. I can't tell. <laughs> all the ones that, that I think... That doesn't bode well for your career. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> all the ones I think are bad, I give to you, and then you tell me about how awesome they are, and then I'm like, I want to write that book, but that's not good for me, because I have <laughs> books I need to write, Dan. Okay. We'll um, make sure this one's terrible, then. But I think this one might be kind of cool, but I'm not sure. Okay. By the way, we are live at Dragonsteel Minicon. Hi, everybody. Scream for us. I just do that as a power play. I don't actually care if you stop or not. <laughs> you know, the first time we recorded live with writing excuses... Okay, then. Of course you know. Who's at my convention cheering for people other than me? <laughs> hey, Adam, go turn the lights off in that room. <laughs> oh, that's got to be the Wheel of Time panel. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. I, I don't know if, if you can hear it on the recording, but the panel next to us cheered really big. I think they're doing it in response to us, so I think we need to fire back, okay? So, here we go, on three, much louder than before. Three. Now let's wait and see. Yeah, someone go tell them that we're all cheering for Sword of Truth or something. <laughs> We are going to talk about conventions, but first I want to tell you my bad okay, story idea. Okay, let's hear the... <laughs> For those listening at home, the other room just booed. Do you want to do one more? Do you okay. want to do what, chimp what can sounds? We do? Oh, yes. Okay, here we go. Monkey noises. Ready? One, two, three. Okay. I honestly don't know if those are intelligible as monkey noises. <laughs> Alternatively, maybe there's a monkey somewhere who's like, what the hell? <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, they turned off our lights. <laughs> it backfired. What? How did that Someone happen? Someone paid off producer mm. Adam. He needs to know which side his bread is buttered on. <laughs> Can I even explain this idea? <laughs> All right. I want to do... Oh, no. Oh, oh no. Who told you you could come okay, up here? Okay, Grandpa's here. <laughs> now that there's an adult in the room, we're going to have to buckle down and actually talk about our topic. Isn't our topic Ben? <laughs> Welcome to the Ben Fan Club. <laughs> We did spend a lot of time talking about you just a few minutes ago, so you'll have to watch that one on the, the, the recording. I like how he didn't even like ask for a mic. He didn't sit next to us. He's just over there watching, very disappointed. City in perpetual freefall. Okay. Right? Endless tunnel, endless hole, mm -hmm. with a city falling through it. Okay. 
The city is on a disc. Yeah, some that sort is of staying level some sort somehow. of thing somehow stays level. Maybe, okay. maybe that. Maybe, maybe your your buildings are all just in free fall. So it's not necessarily on a disc. All the buildings are just falling. It could be at terminal velocity. Yeah, at terminal velocity in atmosphere. Okay. Mm -hmm. So if you need to go to the store, you just fly. You swim. Just, yeah. As everything's falling yes. past you. Um, in what ways is this different than just everything floating? Air resistance. Okay. Right. So you could actually have a city that goes high and low. So you could dive down and go up without any really that much gear. Okay. And so you could have like an eight level city or you could have different nations above and the people on top, um, uh, you know, are throwing their uh, trash. I guess the people on the bottom are throwing the trash and it's, 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 <laughs> and it goes it's up. going up. <laughs> Does that say grandpa? No, it says his actual name. Okay. Well, we're okay with that. Did they already have one for you? Mm. That's cool. Yeah, we let him on panels. Okay, well, there's your first mistake. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so what's the story about? I got nothing else, It's Dan. just a setting. <laughs> I just got this cool idea where I'm like, would this, how do you even get water in this, right? Like, how does not everyone not dehydrate? Oh, is, man. Is this, like, I often have these ideas, and the, there's a part of my brain that says, Brandon, this might be too much, right? <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like... Changing one thing, like massive storm hits the, the world, you can do one big change and make a lot of subtle changes through a society and really do it well, but mostly leave society as mm -hmm. people expect it to be. But something like this sometimes might be too much. So I, I, I waver back and forth. I'm like, is this too much? Is this really cool? Do I have the time to do all the research it necessary to make this actually work? Do I want to? So in one of our very early writing groups, he brought a fantasy something, like a short story or a chapter of a book where the whole world, or maybe it was just the whole town, was in like three or four inches of water. Yes. And we thought that was the most ridiculous thing ever. And uh, one guy in our writing group called it Athlete's Foot World. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But then you put that into Stormlight. I did put and that into Stormlight. And I was so excited to see it there. Mm -hmm. I'm like, hey, it's Athlete's Foot World. It's here mm -hmm. at Stormlight. Do you know I saw a restaurant that was Athlete's Foot Restaurant. They had <laughs> built a restaurant with water in it and koi, those poor koi. The um, ones that eat your, like, the No, it wasn't even the foot-eating one eating okay. ones. It was just the flesh-eating ones. It was just koi living in way too little water. <laughs> Someone thought it was a good idea. Maybe it flooded and, you know. But it looked intentional to me. It flooded and then they're like... Quick, put some koi in there. <laughs> Make them think we did it on purpose. Okay, so city in perpetual freefall. I don't know. I got nothing. You got nothing? I don't know. I don't know enough physics to know if I can, like, explain how anything would work. Yeah. Um, we need Eric. Everyone should go to Eric's. Oh, Eric's reading was already done. Kay. Everyone should have gone to Eric's reading because he's well, in my writing group, and he tells me, Brandon, this makes no sense a lot. <laughs> how about this? So if, you know... What if the way they get water, we're assuming we're in some kind of bizarre dimension anyway, yes. right? Because mm -hmm. you're in perpetual freefall. Yes. What if water or other things appear underneath the city? Okay. And then it either falls through them or it like gets blown up past. I think that would so be cool. Like, you splash that, through yeah, the... Yeah, like that's yeah. how they mark a day yeah. is until we go through the water again. And it's like, okay, it's coming up, it's midnight, everyone hold your breath. <laughs> and then you go, boom, and they have to have, like, collectors to catch water. Yeah. 
That and works. then they pass through it, and they're like, oh, yeah, you say hold your breath, set. you don't mean go. <laughs> <laughs> you want a drink? <laughs> I like that. I think that would be cool. That could work. Yeah? Yeah? How do they grow plants? And they do the same thing. They go through a jungle. <laughs> now you're getting lazy. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Every uh, about 18 hours, they pass through a layer of fried chicken. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's actually on a loop, right? And so yeah. there's one Chick-fil-A, and they put it in order, and then when they come back through, they, they, they got to catch they that order. They just have to throw yeah. it. And then prophecy tells of the cheesening <laughs> that is coming one day soon. All right, let's talk about our actual topic. <laughs> we have an actual topic. Yeah. Okay, wait, wait. Before we move on, Ben, did we miss anything that we should have talked about? <laughs> he has to let us know when he watches it. Burrito World. <laughs> burrito World? What is Burrito World, Ben? If you can go through Chick fil A, you've got to get some burritos. Oh, okay. <laughs> you got to get burritos. He's just trying to add some diversity to this free fall world. They pass through the layer of burritos. It's like a seven layer dip. <laughs> you mark the days of the week <laughs> by what layer of dip your city is passing through. This got real weird as soon as Ben was involved. It was well, perfectly it's normal. Four in the afternoon on Guacamole Day. <laughs> Wait, it's Guacamole Day. Here's my chip. Oh. Refried Beans Day is always rough. Yeah. Uh, the day after is even worse. <laughs> okay, you said we have a real topic, and I'm frankly questioning that at this point. No, I, I actually, I think it worked really well because I had what I thought was a good idea and we made it stupid. <laughs> <laughs> and every stupid idea we make good, there's so, some weird negativity field here. We're in no danger of you having to write Burrito World. No, definitely Free For All Burrito World. It's not, it's not happening anytime okay, soon. but look for Free For All Burrito World, the RPG, coming soon. <laughs> Conventions. Let's talk about conventions. We're I, at a I convention. Just, I just want to say, I know that if you put your mind to it, you could come up with an absolutely killer magic system for a seven-layer burrito dip <laughs> free fall city, right? Maybe, maybe. <laughs> anyway, okay, let's talk about conventions. What are we let's talking talk about? about what are we saying about conventions? Let's talk about our history with conventions because... Like, sci-fi fantasy and writers and things have an interesting, like, we have this little convention subculture. And I'm curious what your first experience with going to any sort of con was. My first any con at all yeah. was actually LTUE, back when it was still at BYU. Okay. And so I, Ben and I were little plucky freshmen, and the Life, the Universe, and Everything, which used to be an academic symposium, wink, wink, which was basically just a sci-fi convention at a very conservative university that thought sci-fi was dumb. So we called it an academic symposium in order to trick them, and they eventually figured it out. But at the time, it was there, and they had some authors, and I don't remember who the authors were. There's an editor, it's like Gelding, Geldman, Geld something. Okay. I don't know. He was there. I've seen him at a bunch of other I don't want to ones. geld anything. Okay. Thank you. But the cool one is that Steve Jackson was there from Steve Jackson Games, and he was beta testing Chaos Chess. And so uh, Ben and I went and we played Chaos Chess with this weird little mock-up thing that he had. And then I think the game was eventually published. But 
So that was, yeah. I'd been to two conventions before going to LTUE my first time, but mm -hmm. I also went to LTUE my freshman year. Because you're a fantasy nerd at college, and they're mm -hmm. like, we have a sci-fi con. You're like, oh, I guess that's where I belong. Um, <laughs> and college is cool. My memories of it, this is how you'll know it's very symposium-ish. They had competitive D&D <laughs> at it. Yes. I've never seen it since. I've never seen it before. But they had competitive D&D where they had four groups run the same module with four separate trained DMs. Okay. And then the DM chose one player per group and the rest of the group chose one player as the best player of their group and then put them all together to play the same module but the next phase of it. Okay. And then they all voted with the DMs all who watched getting a vote. And then uh, that person won the championship. So it was about being the best player, okay. whatever people define that as being. So hmm. it actually was competitive in a, I thought it would be awful. It actually worked really well because it hmm. encouraged everyone to role play really well. Cool. And so. Not to power game. Not to power game. That was my mistake. <laughs> <laughs> Were you in it? I was in it. Oh, yeah. Nice. I signed up. Yeah. I actually got through the first round, but I power game just a little too much. You've, you've played with me. I, yeah. I, I have two modes for gaming, right? I have, I'm going to go absolutely crazy in some interesting, wacky character, or I have, I'm bored of my character. How can I make the numbers the most min-maxed humanly possible? Yeah. And you just, it's a, it's a coin flip, which and brand yeah, you get. They're, they're both flavors of the same thing, which yeah. is I'm going to make this as crazy as possible to entertain myself. But one of them is with personality and one of them is numerical. Yeah. One thing we did eventually learn is that you and I could never be players at the same time. Because then the let's be weird would go completely off the rails. So crazy. <laughs> one of us has to DM to keep the other one in check if we are ever in a, in a thing together. But I, I always thought that was really cool. I, I thought cool. It, it worked really well. TSR had sent prizes, because that was TSR days. Mm -hmm. I had a wonderful experience with that. The prizes were TSR's magic TCG attempt. <laughs> Back in the days, Magic the Gathering started. It got super huge. Everyone started their clones, and most of them were terrible. And so for a while, it was like you, you couldn't enter a game store without having like 70 sample products of someone's non-workable collectible card game getting thrown <laughs> at you. And that's what we won. But. So my first experience with a con. Your very first. Very, very, very first. Very first is there was a Star Trek convention coming to Omaha, Nebraska. And my brother and I were like, we're nerds. I guess this is where we belong. <laughs> right? We had no idea what to do, but we had heard of Star Trek conventions. Mm -hmm. I was like 16 and he was like 14 or something like that. Maybe 15 and 13, right? I mean, our parents dropped us off, yeah. so I wasn't driving yet. That's, that's in time for DS9 to have already been out though, right? No, no, no? DS9. No DS9. No DS9. Okay. So the guest was George Takai. And it was really interesting because I had gotten into reading, which happened to me at 14. So mm -hmm. I started reading books and I, I thought, oh, I've read some Star Trek books. I'll go to this thing. We had no idea what we were doing. These Star Trek cons, they were really interesting. I don't know if they still do them. Eric would know. Again, Eric Jamestone, he's a huge they, uh, They do still do them. But they were like for-profit things. This was not a fan run. It was a moving the same convention, moved mm. around with the same vendors. Hmm. and showed the same bloopers reel 
and things. It was like a show, okay. almost. More, it was more like Ringling's Brothers Circus, the sci-fi con. And so it was really interesting because all the paneling was standardized. If you went to one, you had seen all of these. And I, I, I mentioned it since some friends are like, yeah, I saw that one here or whatnot. And I've never since been to a convention that was like that, no, I've where everything that. was standardized, same sort of things. Just they'd change up the guest, but would have the same programming with that guest based on, yeah. Huh. Uh, I did meet George Takei. He was really nice, as cool. one might expect. So, yeah. I tell people I had lunch with George Takei once. But it's just we were in the green room at the same time and had a short conversation <laughs> while eating. So that counts. Mm. <laughs> sure. Right? Yeah. 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 Uh-huh. It's, it's close enough. So that was, like, weird for me as a kid. I didn't know what cons were. The thing that really explained to me what cons were was a couple years later, maybe two or three years later, I was a senior. And I've told this story before, so I'm sorry if you guys are bored of this, but I was in my AP literature class, and I was the weird kid, right? Not, I mean, there's, there's various varieties of weird kid. I was the science fiction nerd weird kid. And my teacher walked by one day and said, I think this is for you. And, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. We've all been there. He had had put in his box as a teacher a flyer for a local science fiction convention, and they put it in his box because they had a writing contest. And so, like, he was supposed to announce to the class, he didn't do that. He walked to my desk, put it on my desk, and said, this is for you, and then taught his normal the class. The one nerd in Omaha. Yes. The um, Brandon Sanderson story. <laughs> Ooh, that's, that's your that's, biopic. That's, a, that's the that name of our make. podcast. Yeah. One nerd in Omaha. The one nerd in Omaha. Mm. Starring Dan. <laughs> and Grandpa. Mm. There's lots of nerds in Nebraska. They're just all football nerds. Ah. Which is, you know, we pretend, movies try to tell us, we've talked about this, that sci-fi nerds and football nerds are a different species. No. No. They, they, I got way more in common with the football nerds I have found through my life than a lot of other demographics. But regardless, he I handed mean, it to me. If, if you've ever yeah. worn your favorite player's sports jersey, you've been doing cosplay. Yeah. Whether you recognized it or not. Mm. So I went. I submitted a story. And I went to this convention, and it was kind of life-changing. I throw that word around too much, I'm an author, but it kind of was, right? Like, first off, I won the writing competition, right? I've talked about this before, despite stapling my story backward when I <laughs> submitted it, I won the writing competition, which is kind of a big high, right? When you're like, wow, I mean, there were probably five submissions, I know there were five places, and I got one yeah. out of five. Uh, so there were at least five submissions. But regardless, I won the, the writing competition with, like, my second story ever, which is posted on my website, and it's terrible, and you can go read it. But beyond that, I found, like, a bunch of teenagers went there because they had this writing competition, right? Mm -hmm. They'd all submitted, they'd all showed up, and we all met, and they had, like, the little award ceremony, like, the first day for the teenager writing competition. And so we were all there, and there were, like, actually, like, nine or ten of us. And we're like, well, we're now we're at this con, and our parents aren't picking us up till later. What do we do? So a bunch of teenage nerds, like, were forced to interact, and we <laughs> ran around the con and just 
had a fantastic time becoming friends. And it was kind of sad to me because this was like May of my senior year. And I'm like, I just actually made Where a bunch you been all these years? of nerd friends, which is why when I went to BYU my freshman year, I'm like, I am going to the science fiction con. No matter what, I am going to go there and find nerd friends. It actually took a little longer. It took till I went to uh, Leading Edge and met you guys. Edge. But yeah. So cool. okay. conventions. You never went when you were younger. You didn't, no. Did you ever I, hear about them? I didn't them? know that they were a thing. And it wasn't until LTUE at college that I realized, oh, they they do science fiction conventions. That's kind of neat. And then after, I mean, not counting LTUE, the next one I ever went to was actually Worldcon with you okay. and Ben and Peter down in Corpus Christi. Yes, that was World Fantasy, wasn't it? Uh, yes. Yeah. What did I say? Worldcon? Yeah. It was World Fantasy in Corpus Christi. Yeah, we'll tell that story, I think, in a minute. But I just wanted to ask first, do you have an opinion or have you thought about like the rise of the Comic-Con and the old sci-fi con, and like a lot of people don't know the difference between these two, and I, I kind of group them very differently in my brain. But meaning like the pop culture cons versus yeah. the local fan cons. Yeah, yeah, the pop yeah, culture yeah. con versus the local fan con. I go to, I mean, not counting the pandemic, I go to ten or twelve comic cons a year. That's part of my main business model with a traveling booth. And what's really fascinating to me about them is that the vendors. I'd say 60% of the vendors at any given show are the same ones that we see at every show, you know? So they travel. It's kind of yeah. like that sci-fi, that mm -hmm. Star Trek thing, but just a rotating... Yeah. One guy described it as, you know, we're the new carnies. We all know each other. You know, you've got a booth that sells t-shirts or whatever, and your whole business model is going from show to show, you know, sometimes 50 or 60 shows a year just selling the same t-shirts or the same foam rubber swords or the same dice or the same whatever, candles and artwork and so on. And that's just how they make their business. And that can't work at the little local fan ones, but it does work pretty well for the big comic ones. My editor once explained it to me, kind of the big comic cons are like an expo. You are there to see things. And the local sci-fi cons are there as more of a, an experience to join in. Like they are, it's like, you may not be a panelist, but you are kind of a participant at something like LTUE, a little bit more than it is an expo. Yeah. But they have their own different sort of pluses and minuses. But we started going to cons because of Dave. Yeah. Do you want to tell the story? You want uh, me to tell Dave Wolverton? Yeah, about how we ended up at conventions. Go ahead. Okay. You start, and I'm sure I'll interrupt. Yes. And I hope that Ben interrupts at some point as well. No, he doesn't have a mic. He can't interrupt, except by throwing <laughs> something at us. He'll just glare, yeah. and we'll feel it. So we were in this class in 2000, 21 years was ago. Was it 2000? It was 2000. Oh, my stars. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, you're old. It wasn't 99? It, it might have been. It was, it was 99 I, turning 2000. I got married like in that. 99. Okay. So I think it, it had to have been 98 or 99. Okay. But I don't so, know. Okay, so 99. So we're even older. That makes, yeah. that ma yeah, makes us older makes somehow. makes it so much better. Yeah. So a century ago, <laughs> we were in a, convention, uh, in, a, in a class. And I took this class my last semester of my undergraduate or my next to last, if it was indeed 99, because 
Dave, a professional writer, came in to teach it. And I'm like, wow, a professional writer teaching a class. This is a first for me. I was taking graduate level writing classes that time, but I jumped back and took this class. And it was a great class. We won't go on at length about that because we've talked about it probably too much. But I took this class and he was saying a lot of things like, you know, your first few books are practice and whatnot and things. And a lot of what he said was really relevant to me. But one day after the class, I went up to Dave and I said, Dave, I just started my seventh novel. And he said, oh, come talk to me. And he towed me off to his office, which he had never been to before because they just gave it to him. And he's like, I know it's here somewhere. And we found his office and we sat down. And he said, all right, tell me about your seven novels and your history as a writer. And I kind of went into it and, you know, write and all this stuff. And he's like, all right, you are ready. My young apprentice, you have now become a journeyman. <laughs> Bing! You know, he... Uh, sprinkled the fairy dust or whatever and said, all right, you are now level two as a writer. Your job is now to sell your stuff, not just write your stuff. And I said, okay, how? I've been at a creative writing program at a university. We don't talk about selling things. That's not what we're about. And so he said, all right, how much money do you have? And I said, none. And he's like, okay, find some. Um, <laughs> Get a credit card, is uh, how he tells the story. And you're going to go to the Nebula Weekend and a World Fantasy this year. So I went to my friends and said, anyone want to share a hotel room so it's cheaper? Because, well, first I went to Dan and said, Dan, we need to go do this. Because yeah. Dan was the writer that I knew, right? Who was really serious We'd about We'd already gotten writing. into a writing group yeah. at this point. And so we decided to go, and then we wrangled our friends and so we grabbed... Well, we got Peter we because got, he wanted to be an editor. Yes, we got Peter, and we got Ben. And, and we got Ben because he had a real job, I and think. And had money, yeah. <laughs> is, is that what this was? Yeah. <laughs> Ben's a computer person. He, like, does practical things. And I know this must have been after I was already married mm -hmm. because I remember having to sell this to my wife as, like, I'm going to go, and we're going to spend money, and this is going to cost us, but... This is how we're going to make the career work. Yeah. And the Nebula Weekend was not a convention. It was just kind of a... Yeah. Um, and I didn't do Nebula ceremony. Okay. Yeah, I did that with Scar. Scar from Bruce Who's also here, I bet, in the room. Is Scar? Scar might not be here. He's here at the show. At the I saw con. him earlier yeah. today. So Scar had a cousin who lived in New York or in Jersey, and the Nebula Weekend was in Manhattan. Mm -hmm. And so I went to stay with Scar's cousin so I could go to the Nebula Weekend. This is what you do when you're, you're broken in college and somehow need to fly across the country. And <laughs> twice. The four of us went to Corpus Christi to our first, like, um, big boy convention. And yeah. poor Ben and, you know. The, and we didn't know what we were doing. Yeah. We, at one point, was it at Corpus Christi or was it the following year at Montreal that we found Tom Doherty? No, it was at Corpus Christi. Tom Doherty is not an editor. He is a publisher. Yes. That means he owns a publishing house. We sat him down and pitched him books, which is he, he not would, what you're supposed to do to a publisher. He wouldn't sit. He backed away from us. <laughs> but he picked the wrong direction and ended up in a corner. Yeah. <laughs> we should not have done this. Do not emulate us. But, yeah. He was really nice, mm -hmm. but, you know, he was like, oh, no, oh, no, more aspiring artists. I assume office. that you have since told him that story. I like, know. hey, remember at Corpus Christi, those nerds? Yeah. That was me. Yeah, I'm sure he remembers exactly. <laughs> but like, oh, I shouldn't have published this guy. Yeah. And so it was really interesting, though, because conventions have this, like, 
this air, the little sci-fi comms, right? I had no idea what was going on. And I eventually, my editor, Moshe, who has been to a bunch of them and was part of them, he explained it to me. The cons existed to basically be message boards pre-internet. The cons mm-hmm. were, depending on your flavor, 4chan or Reddit or Facebook <laughs> mm-hmm. before the internet. Back when people loved Doctor Who, and Star Trek, but even before Star Trek, right? When they were yeah. liking Doctor Who and Conan and, uh, and oh, things like, like this. Oh, uh, like the Barsoom books. Yes. I remember seeing some old, like, 1940s-era photos of sci-fi cons where people were dressing yeah. up as, you know, John Carter and stuff. Did they wear clothes? Sometimes, no. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> it was a different time. Yeah, deep John Carter cut there. Um, <laughs> so... They started these conventions because back in the the, the 50s, if you're the nerdy kid, that's a different experience than if you're in the 2000s and you're the nerdy kid. Mm -hmm. And being the nerdy kid means that we all play video games, we all go to science fiction movies, but you're the ones that know the names of the character who walks on screen, (laughs) that winks at the camera and leaves. You're the one that's like, oh, that was Frog Thor in Loki. That's the nerd. (laughs) Everybody's watching it. You're just the one who knows who Frog Thor is. Yeah, back in the day, you know, if you think it was bad being the one nerd in Omaha, yeah. imagine being the one person in your entire state that had read the Barsoom books in 1930. Yeah, and so they're like, let's get together. And they started forming conventions, Worldcon, which, you know, is, is a very grandiose term for like three people in a bar. I'm exaggerating, <laughs> but that's like, like San Diego Comic-Con that's now 200,000 people. That mm-hmm. one started as a, you know, it's now one of these media cons. It started as just a little comics convention, which was, you know, like a couple dozen people are like, let's talk about our favorite issues of Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. And these conventions became these like safe havens for nerddom. Do you remember the bulletin boards that they used to put up at yes. Worldcon. Uh-huh. This even 10 years ago, which you'd think is like modern era, but it was still the time before most people had phones. And so if you wanted to find anyone or do anything at this big convention, they had these huge bulletin boards set up and you could like write little notes like I'm throwing a party in my room, it's this one and then you'd pin it up to the thing or you'd write, "Hey, let's all go to the party in this guy's room." <laughs> And then you'd pin it to the thing and just hope that your friends found it. Yeah, it was pre-cell phones, a lot of this. And so you would walk by this board and be like, hey, John, where are you? Is written. Mm -hmm. And you'd have underneath, at the bar, stupid. Um, (laughs) Right? Like, it was a different time back in those those, days. I miss those bulletin boards. Mm. They were completely useless. Yeah. But they were so fun to, like, think oh, I know how I can find Brandon and Ben. I'm going to write a thing on this board. And then Peter and I wander around and still can't find Brandon and Ben. Even though we put the thing on the board. We probably weren't at the bar. Probably not. Probably not. But it was, it was an interesting thing to do that because we went to these cons with a very specific intent. Mm-hmm. We were there as pros trying to get published. To the They're extent aspiring pros. that... The first several we went to, we did not really enjoy. No. At least not me. Yeah. Yeah, because once I had justified the expense to my wife, then it was not, I'm going to go hang out with nerds. It's, don't worry, this is a business thing. And so we sat down and, like, we looked at the list, and Peter was invaluable for this because he knew more about, like, who the editors were. So we looked at the guest list of who's going to be at the con, 
and we figured out where they were going to be and we made our plan of how we were going to find them and you know if they're at this panel and then next day of this panel then they're going to have to walk down this hall and that's when we get them mm -hmm. yeah and i remember being enormously stressed at each of these conventions because it's like if I don't walk away with some sort of contacts or things, I mean, I am living in Provo, Utah. You know, Nebraska is <laughs> a little further from publishing, even though it's a little closer geographically, mm -hmm. but it's not very close to the publishing heart of the United States. And, you know, I could afford to go to one or two of these a year and that was pushing it, right? And so it was really stressful for me. Yeah, which is why it was so exciting on, I want to say, the third World Fantasy we did, but maybe it was the fourth, was Montreal. Mm -hmm. And that is when we found Moshe Fetter, and we talked to him for an hour, by which I mean he talked to us for an hour. Moshe was manic. Yeah. And we, when Moshe's uh, manic, you get to hear lots of cool things. And so we listened to him talk about Bigfoot for like an hour and a half, and then at the end of it, we said, we've got books you might be interested in. Can we send them to you? And he said, sure. And for us, that was like four years culmination, victory lap. We just won the Super Bowl, an editor asked for our stuff. And but yeah, so and we had hunted him the entire con because Gene Cavellos had told us he's now acquiring. We'd made this contact with Gene, and she had said, you should go talk to Moshe. He's acquiring. It looks like he's wanting the sort of stuff that you guys have. We had no idea who this guy was. We yep. never heard of him before because he was David Hartwell's editorial assistant. And so we spent the con hunting for him. He wasn't on any paneling. He was too new. And Dan found him at a party mm -hmm. Sunday night, the last day of the convention, at like midnight. Yeah, it was late. And we're just kind of meandering around, started talking to this guy, noticed, I think we had names on tags. Yeah. And was like, oh, oh, you're Moshe Fetter. Hang on one second. Grabbed yeah. Brandon, Found me. dragged him over, introduced him, and then, you know, we did the thing. We listened to Bigfoot. We pitched him our stuff, and he's like, sure, send him to me. And we celebrated. And the manner of our celebration, which at this point was like 2 in the morning, we went to the one restaurant was open. So we're in Montreal. So this is French-Canadian. We found an Italian restaurant <laughs> that was willing to make Korean-Chinese spaghetti for Peter. Oh, you you got to hear this story because we go <laughs> to this restaurant and we're all just really tired and really excited, mm -hmm. but also really kind of in a weird mind state because it's 2 a.m. and we've been at a con and gotten very little sleep. And Peter sometimes has decision paralysis and he was looking at the menu and we had all ordered and he just couldn't decide. And sometimes, you know, stressful situation, the guy's just like, what do you want? And Peter, just being Peter, said, or he said, what do you like? Peter said, I like Chinese food. That's just what came out, right? And this was like, I mean, you can imagine a downtown Italian place open at 2 in the morning. It was a scary dive. Yeah. It was the one where there's like a guy with no sleeves sitting in the corner just taking phone calls all night and writing down what we're fairly certain were illegal bets yeah. for something. And so the guy, the waiter, who's like, you want, you want Chinese food? We can make you Chinese food. We'll make you some Chinese spaghetti. Mm -hmm. All we have is Korean sauce. Is that okay? And he made jajangmyeon with spaghetti. Do you guys know jajangmyeon? It's black bean sauce. Yeah, um, it looks like axle grease. 
It's delicious. But it's really good that they pour on noodles. And he came out with that, and he'd stir-fried some jajang and some spaghetti noodles and a bunch of vegetables and handed it to Peter. And we all just sat there. And Peter, <laughs> being the good sport he is, ate it, and he's like, this is really good. <laughs> so we got Chinese spaghetti. We tried to find the restaurant when we went back yeah, to Montreal. Chinese-Korean yeah. spaghetti yes. in an Italian-French-Canadian restaurant. Yeah. And then Moshe bought both of our books. So, yay. there is that. Yeah, so, that's how we broke in. Oh, yay! The story there is also kind of fun. So, I was the one who grabbed Brandon and brought him over. And then we both sent Moshe our books, and he really liked Brandon's, and he really did not like mine. So, five years later? Three Maybe. years later? When did you publish I'm Not a Serial Killer? Uh, it was 13 years ago is when I got the, the contract. Okay. So was that... 2009? 2008? 2008. 2008. All right. This was 2002 when we went to the con. Okay. I sold in 2003, so it was so five years was later. five years later. I was sitting at work with AOL Instant Messenger. And remember that one? That was open because, you know, any opportunity to not do what I was being paid to do was great. And I got a message from Brandon that popped up in all caps. It said, my debt to you is paid, Mr. Wells. <laughs> and what he had done is taken the manuscript of I'm Not a Serial Killer and sent it to Moshe without asking me first and said, hey, this guy in my writing group wrote this. It's awesome. You should read it. And he did. And Moshe's like, yeah, this is great. I would love to talk to him. And so that's how I sold my thing. And hooray. Mm. Yes. And thereafter, we kind of were yeah. in this little, like, he got the first multi-book deal with, like, Alcatraz. And then I had, at the point that I sold my German rights to Serial Killer, it was the highest sale either of us had ever gotten, the highest he, single contract. He got an enormous amount of money. And yeah. The Germans just loved Dan. <laughs> it was this era where they loved David Hasselhoff, and they loved Dan. And I will take it. So we were, we were kind of... Bouncing back and forth, who has the greater success? Who has the greater success? And then all of a sudden, he got the wheel of time. <laughs> and you know, in the old Mario games, there's this couple spots where you could jump on the turtle enough times and get enough extra lives <laughs> that it runs out of numbers. And so it's like, you now have triangle extra lives. That's the success he has achieved. He has triangle <laughs> success now. And uh, I don't think I'm ever going to catch him. But I did get a movie first. Yeah. <laughs> Although, uh, you have a TV series now. Do I get to count it until they do my material? Yes? No? I mean, you're, yes. a, you're like so a producer on it. I'm or a producer something. on it. But it's really good, by the way. I've seen the first two episodes. It's eh. awesome. So, yeah. I'll count it as half. Okay. If I get another TV show, then I'm equal. <laughs> to you. So, yeah, that's, we had this kind of weird relationship with conventions. Do you remember the first one you got to go to that you didn't have to stress about? Because for me, that was the one in Boston. There was a world con in Boston, and Stacey Whitman was living out there. And do you remember going to that? Did you even go? I did not go to the Boston Oh, one. okay. And so this was after I'd sold a book, and I got to go to the con and realize I've already sold a book. I can just enjoy the con. <laughs> And I really just did, but then I started to stress of, oh, I need cover blurbs. I need to meet other authors. And that was its own stressful thing. 
Yeah, for me, I think the first time that I was able to go to a con and just enjoy it was probably one of the locals here, probably LTUE. Eventually, like I said, LTUE got kicked out of BYU. The rumor, the urban legend, is that uh, one of the university administrators walked by a filking group, but also the other version is that they walked by a group of furries, and I don't know which it was, and I'm inclined to believe it could have been you Either know, one. any cosplay whatsoever, and they're like, this is not an academic symposium. And so now it's just a community con, but there was one of those where I had sold a couple of books, and I realized I had achieved you know, enough level of success that I could just enjoy the show instead of having to, like, be constantly working and, and entertaining and networking the whole time. I'm pretty sure that was here at the home show. I should say that, number one, I saw some confused looks about filking. This is science fiction and fantasy folk singing. If you want to know, like, there's some professionals that do things similar to this. Jonathan Colton's probably the most famous. If you want to go, you know, but most of them are not, like, Jonathan Colton does a lot of original songs. Most of them are famous filking songs set to familiar tunes, but with all of the lines changed to stories about Star Trek or Lord of the Rings or things like that. Peter is very good at it. He can tell you all the history, I'm sure, of filking and whatnot. But I would say, if you're watching this, or if you're here and you're like, you know, what's the point of this? Well, the point of this is just, we like to talk. But, <laughs> if you're curious, like, these two styles of convention both exist in most mm -hmm. decently sized metropolitan areas. You will find something we call a media con. They're usually comic cons. Wizard World is these. If you see someone from a TV show or movie, and their role in the TV show or movie is more recent than 30 years ago, then it is probably a media con. If you see the headliners for the convention being authors or the person who played the uh, stormtrooper, you know, that hit his head on the door, yeah. then it might be a fan-run local con. And they do have very different cultures. Yeah, I, I went to a uh, local fan con. I say local. It was local to Orlando. But it was one of these smaller kind of fan cons and shared a cab from the airport with a Gamorrean guard, one of the original Gamorrean guards from Return of the Jedi. And that's just kind of one of the things he does is go around from, you know, to con to con. And it's interesting to me because, like you said, San Diego Comic-Con started as one of these little ones mm -hmm. and then exploded into a big thing. And so both kind of have their roots in the same yeah. idea. Dragon Con's the same way. Let's get all the nerds together in one place so we can find our own people and we can, you know, nerd out together. But some of them have turned into these kind of big, you know, trade show exposition things where they're all about selling stuff and buying stuff. And some of them have stayed smaller and they're more about, you know, let's celebrate this author or this artist or something like that. Yeah, and the little ones, usually a lot of them do cap their attendance or mm -hmm. like um, things like that. And they do tend to be like, they're fun places to go, but they also tend to be a little more cliquish by accident because yeah. it's generally a lot of people who've gotten together who are friends. And so we have a really good one here in Utah, LTUE. But if you go and you're, you're like, I don't know what to do, there is this sort of sense that a lot of people have gone together for a long time. The best thing to do is to bring a friend 
and to be very um, friendly, ask people, people will talk to you. We're all, all nerds, they will talk to you at length about their favorite <laughs> sorts of things. Either that or they'll get scared and hide. But you know, you know, we, we're used to that. So that's what those are. At Comic Cons, generally the most fun thing to do there is just go and watch all the costumes and go walk around the dealer's hall and things like that. Those are kind of the, the different sort of feels. If, they, if the little cons you're gonna go and you're gonna go to a panel about your discussion of your favorite Star Trek captain. Right? Yeah. And so... More of those kinds of things. Like, let's just, you know, geek out about Battlestar Galactica or whatever. We basically need to be done now. We're out of time for this episode. But before we end, we do need to ask... Have, have, have we... Are we okay? <laughs> <laughs> Anything we missed? Oh. I can't believe that. <laughs> Uh-oh. Oh, oh, oh. Ben, ben. ben is on, on, on the air. You call me, Grandpa, and you guys rehash good times from 20 years ago for an hour? <laughs> really? <laughs> really? <laughs> Tune in to our next episode where we talk about all the conventions we're going to go to 20 years from now. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>